0: Welcome, you're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well as you've already heard and no doubt knew anyway, this is Memorial Day weekend, the time in our country's calendar that we set aside a day to remember those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. We honor them for their sacrifice and remind ourselves that freedom does not come free, that someone has paid a price, though we may not be the ones paying that price, others have done so that we might be free. And so we honor them on this weekend. And then, of course, this morning we have honored Miss Tara for her eight years of service in our children's ministry. But in her case, we did more than honor her. Uh, We gave her gifts. We gave her rewards to thank her for her years of service and to demonstrate our appreciation for her. We cannot do that for those men and women who have died in uh, defense of our nation and in other nations but we can do that for her because she is still with us. Now, that is not in any way to say that Tara has worked these last eight years for this very moment. She didn't work all those eight years to get the gifts that we gave her this morning, but we did give her those anyway. We live in a rewards-based society. People want to get noticed, appreciated, and ultimately rewarded for the things they do. It starts very early in our childhood where we are often bribed. In fact, you heard that on the video, that Tara's treasure chest apparently is something that children look forward to, a way of bribing them to either learn a Bible verse or to just act nicely during the event. And so if they obey, they are allowed to get something, pick something, and receive a reward, some sort of small gift or a piece of candy or something like that. It carries over into our careers. It starts in childhood, but it carries over into our careers where we expect our bosses to notice what we are doing. We want the company that we work for to see how well we are doing and to reward us accordingly. And if they don't, well, then we'll just take our service to some other company where perhaps they will notice what we are doing. Frankly, we have the same attitude and expectation when it comes to God. Whether we are willing to admit that or not, many of us do have this expectation. If we are faithful and we obey God, then we have an expectation that God is going to reward us accordingly. Others may not notice, but we expect that God will, meaning we expect him to do something on our behalf as a way of saying he's grateful and he notices what we are doing. Often this reward comes in the form of health. That is, if we are faithful, we expect to be healthy or wealth. We're not a health and wealth gospel kind of church, and I'm grateful for that. But deep down, there is still some of that tendency within all of us that if I'm faithful to God, then I can expect to be healthy, and I can expect to have the finances that I need to live my life. Or at least we could have success or general happiness. I mean, we would all acknowledge that salvation is something we do not deserve. We talk about it often, that salvation is by grace through faith without any merit on our own part. And theologically, we would all agree with that, but there is still deep down that idea that we know salvation is undeserved, but we do have expectations that if we do the right thing and live the right way, then God will reward us. And just like in other areas of our lives, if these expectations are not met, then we get our feelings hurt. We get angry, maybe bitter, or even worse. Now, we can't switch gods like we would companies. We can't just pack up and go worship another god because there are no other gods. But we can get angry when we don't get the rewards that we expect. And as a result, sometimes people just go home. They just quit serving. Like the kid on the playground who angrily takes his ball and goes home. Some people just give up on God altogether. Now this morning, we are in between series. We started a series, or we finished a series, I should say, last week on ancient encounters. And I'm not quite ready to begin another series because I'll be gone to the Southern Baptist Convention and didn't want to interrupt that. And so this morning is just a, a one-off kind of series. It's just a one-sermon series. And I thought, given that this is Memorial Day weekend and that we are honoring Tara today, I would talk about rewards. Does God reward those of us who know Him and serve Him? And if so, what are those rewards and when can we expect them? Well, I want you to be finding First Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 15, and we are thinking about today biblical rewards. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul is writing, of course, and he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Here's the phrase, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All right, so we're talking this morning about biblical rewards. Now, we cannot just jump to the rewards we cannot just go straight to what are the rewards and when am i going to get them we've got to lay some groundwork first and so we are going to begin this morning by talking about our need for careful construction paul is using an analogy here about the construction of a building he is of course not talking about the literal building of a building That's why it's called an analogy. He is talking about our spiritual lives and how we invest our spiritual lives in the lives of others. He, of course, is writing to the believers in Corinth. And if you know anything about this book, you know that the church in Corinth was one of the most dysfunctional churches that Paul ever wrote to. It was full of problems. It was a mess. And yet, in writing to them, trying to correct a lot of the issues that they had, he is, in fact, here talking about the rewards for service that God is going to give to those who faithfully follow him. So he's talking about spiritual service, and he's talking about what we can expect, what kind of rewards that we can expect for this diligent service. Now this careful construction doesn't just mean our outward acts of serving the Lord, but rather it also includes the inward motivation. That is the desires we have, why we do the things that we do. It is not just about what we do, that's what everybody can see. But it is also about why we do the things that we do. God knows our hearts. And so our service to the Lord is not just about what others see and the physical acts that we do on behalf of the Lord for others, but it's also about why we do the things that we do. Because it is, all, it is certainly possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons. It is possible to do things in order to please others. We often say yes to things because we do not want to offend others because we are unwilling to disappoint them. And then as we're doing the things that we've been asked to do, we grumble and complain along the way. That is certainly not careful construction. You might be doing the right thing, but you might be doing it for the wrong reasons. We might also do things in order to please ourselves. By that I mean we might perform certain acts of service in order that we might be seen and therefore that our reputation might be enhanced. That's why it's easier to sometimes fill a position that is prominent, that is a position where others will notice what we are doing rather than filling a position where no one is going to see and therefore no one is going to applaud. It is certainly possible, especially in a position like my own, to do acts of service to the Lord because it's part of our job description. It's certainly possible for me to do the things that I do and for some of you to do the things that you do because someone is paying us to do it while always doing it, or not always, but often doing it for the wrong reasons. You see, motives are hard to figure out. It is often hard for us to know even our own motives, much less the motives of others. And so, to the best of our knowledge, we need to make sure that as we are carefully constructing, that is, as we are serving the Lord, that we are not only doing the right things, but we are doing the right things with the right motives and for the right reasons. So, Paul begins this passage of Scripture by talking about the fact that we need to make sure that we are doing this building, this spiritual service, for the Lord and for the right reasons. Secondly, we notice not only that we are to be careful in our construction, that is, we need to take care how we are serving, but secondly, we need to make sure that we have a faithful foundation. That is, we are doing things, building upon the foundation that has already been laid. Now, Paul says that he has laid the foundation. And what he means by that is that he is a church planter. That is, God had called him to go from one city to the other, and you can see this in the book of Acts, Paul journeyed from one city to another, and when he went to those cities, he would share the gospel, and having shared the gospel, he would establish a church. And then having established that church, he would move on to other places to do the same. And oftentimes, he would have no further relationship with that church other than Sending associates to help build that church and then writing back to them. Sometimes he would go back to those churches and see what was going on. But oftentimes he was then gone and therefore it was left to others to build upon. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, I came there, I established a church, I laid the foundation, and now I expect that others are going to build upon the foundation that I began. And that foundation, of course, he makes very plain here, is the foundation of Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation upon which we must build not only a church, but our service to the Lord. All of this must be upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so if we start to construct elsewhere, even if we are doing good things, if we are careful in our construction, but we are laying a foundation or we are building upon a foundation other than the foundation of Jesus Christ, then our careful construction is meaningless, at least as far as our service to the Lord goes. Now, there are many worthwhile community organizations There are many well-meaning people who do a lot of great things in this community and for our country. But in many cases, they are not doing it in the name of Christ. And that's fine. Um, There are many who are not believers who do worthwhile things, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. Those people need to be appreciated. They need to be thanked. Perhaps they have a building named after them, maybe a community center in their honor. And those things are wonderful. But they're not laying a foundation upon Jesus Christ, and therefore the rewards we're talking about this morning do not apply to them. Now, take this church for example. There have been many faithful members throughout the years of this church, but there are no members present here this morning who began this church. There are no founding members of Beaver Dam in attendance this morning, nor watching online. And do you know how I know that? Because this church has been in existence for 236 years, which means nobody who began this church is with us today. But along the way in those 236 years, there have been many faithful members and many faithful pastors, all of which have continued to build upon the foundation of this church that was laid 236 years ago. And prayerfully, If Christ does not return, the same can be said hundreds of years in the future, that none of us will be here, but our ancestors, other people, will come along behind us and continue to build upon that which we are building. But that is not true of every church, nor is it true of every Christian organization. Sometimes, along the way, churches, Christian organizations, lose the foundation. They begin building upon other things. They change what they believe, and therefore they either go astray or go out of existence. Do you realize that most of the Ivy League colleges that are still in existence today began as training schools for ministers? Their founding mission was to train ministers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now those Ivy League schools that began that way, none of them still have that as their mission. They are no longer training ministers for the gospel. In fact, in many cases, in most cases, they are not only not doing that, but they are diametrically opposed to the very gospel upon which they were founded. They not only no longer train ministers, but they are antagonistic and contrary to the gospel. They are no longer building upon the foundation for which they began. And we want to make sure that that does not happen to us and to this church. And that is why Paul charges the Corinthians and he charges us, and I will say that this is a very contemporary thing today. Because as you look across the fabric of our nation, Christian churches and Christian organizations are being attacked. They are being swayed. They are being led astray because no longer will the world accept what we stand for nor what we do. And so there's going to be more and more pressure upon us and upon orthodox churches to move away from the foundation upon which we have been built. Beliefs that churches have held dear for the existence of Christianity. The world is now telling us that we can no longer hold that if we want to be in good standing with the world. And that is why what Paul says here is not only applicable to the church in Corinth, it is very much contemporary for today. And if we have any expectation of biblical rewards, we have to be careful in our construction. That is how we build upon this foundation. But secondly, we have to be faithful to that foundation. We cannot stray from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I want to mention our need for preferred products. Verse 13, Paul says here that rewards will be based on the quality of the products we build, not just the quantity. You see, in ministry sometimes we assume that the person or persons who most outwardly have success are the ones who are more blessed by God and therefore the ones who will receive a greater reward. That is why we as ministers... Are always asking each other the sizes of our church. How many people come? That's one of the first questions out of our mouths when we meet. When we gather in a couple of weeks for the Southern Baptist Convention, that question will be asked over and over again. What are you running these days? Because it's a way of measuring one another to see who is more successful. And the implied idea behind that is success numerically means greater rewards by God. And yet I'm convinced That there are saints of God whose names none of us know, whose rewards are going to be far greater than those names that we do know because they have faithfully served and been faithful to God. I've told you before about a Presbyterian minister. Yes, I do believe Presbyterians will get rewarded as well. There was a Presbyterian minister down the road from me in my first church. He was a tremendous help to me. He was the one I turned to over and over again when I had issues in my church, and he would walk me through how best to handle those issues. He was the one I went to when I first had someone that I was going to marry, and I had no idea how to do premarital counseling. And so I went to him and said, tell me, how do you do premarital counseling? And he showed me his whole outline and walked me through it. He was the one I went to when I went back to seminary, and I needed help with my Hebrew. He had kept up with his Hebrew, and so he taught me Hebrew once again so that I could be ready to go back to school. He recently retired after decades at that same small country church. I texted him when I heard about his retirement and thanked him once again for all that he had done for me. That man whose name you do not know, I could tell you his name, but none of you would know him. Nobody knows his name except that small community of people that he served faithfully for over four decades. And I have every reason to believe that God is gonna reward him accordingly. And yet it's easy for us to get jealous about the size or the success of someone else's ministry. And that's not just pastors, that's all of us. Before I went into full-time ministry, I taught a Sunday school class at a very large church, but my Sunday school class was not large at all. I had six or eight, a handful of people. There were other classes that had way more than that. And I got jealous. I got frustrated. I thought I was faithfully trying to teach the Bible even then as I try to do now. And yet people were not coming. They were going to other classes where in some degree they were not being as faithful in teaching the word. And so I was, I was jealous of their outward success. My point is that whether we are a pastor or a volunteer, we can quietly compare ourselves with others and conclude that God is not blessing us, God is not rewarding us according to what we deserve. But I remind you that God does not judge in this manner. He judges on the quality of our service, not the quantity. And furthermore, this is not a competition. This is not a competition between servants so that if you get a reward, then I may not. If you have kids or you frequent social media, you know that this past week was the last week of school. But on social media, it did not appear to be that. On social media, it looked like awards week because that's all I saw on social media this week. Every parent posting a picture of their child with whatever award they got this week. Some got one, some got many, You know, the best at this, the best at that. And every parent was proud and posted about the awards that their children received. A certificate, a ribbon to be filed away. Probably forgotten very quickly, but filed away by those parents nevertheless. Now, if you get get an award because you're the best at something, that means nobody else can get that specific award, right? You're the best at this in this grade. Nobody else in that grade can get that same award because you're the best at it. But that is not the way God does it. God does not award us rewards on the basis of a competition as to who is the best. And if you get it, then nobody else can get it. Because God owns it all, God's rewards do not run out. So it's not a competition between me and you or between you and someone else It's a reward for faithful service, for those who use the right products. Now, this next one you're not going to like. And I realize that, but I have to say it anyway. What we're talking about this morning awaits a future fulfillment. We would prefer immediate rewards. But notice what Paul says in verse 13. In verse 13, he says that our service will become known at the day. And do you notice that the word day is capitalized, which means he's talking about a day in the future, the day of judgment, when we will stand before God. Now, I am not talking about judgment in the sense of heaven or hell. I am not talking about judgment in the sense of who is a believer and who is not. Paul makes it very clear that that is not the case because he says even if you use the wrong products and those service that you build upon is burned up, it will not affect your salvation. So he makes it very clear he is not talking here about the judgment in the sense of heaven or hell. The fire mentioned here is not the lake of fire. It is the fire of purification that is testing to see if our work or service is pure. So when I say judgment, I'm talking about God judging our works or our service as believers in order to reward us accordingly. Now, I said you wouldn't like this point. And the reason you don't like it is because of the future aspect of it. We want our rewards now. In fact, most experts would say that for them to be effective, they must be immediate. That is, Tara doesn't say to our children, if you're good today, you can pick something out of the treasure chest in six years. That doesn't work. The reward has to be immediate. But God says, my rewards are going to wait a future fulfillment. Now, we don't like to wait. And we have demonstrated that over the course of this pandemic, because now we are all familiar with a very common phrase that none of us knew beforehand, and that is supply chain issues. We can't get anything. We're not used to that. We're used to going to the store and getting whatever we want, and we want it immediately. Tracy has been waiting now five weeks for a new windshield for her car. We don't have it yet, and we have no promise of when we're going to get it. Our brother-in-law wrecked his car last November and ordered a new one right then. He still doesn't have it. Nearly six months later, he's still waiting for the car he ordered, though they did say it is about to come. But we don't like this kind of waiting. We expect everything we want to get it now. And so what we're primarily talking about this morning are heavenly rewards, not earthly ones. Now, that is not to say that God does not reward us here in this life. He does. We have all kinds of blessings, something we would call rewards. The fact that we are saved is the greatest blessing of all. And we've already acknowledged that we are not deserving of that. And as a result, anything that we get beyond that is just gravy. It's just icing on the cake because we don't deserve that. And yet God does give us Rewards in this life, moments of happiness, moments of peace, relationships that we share with one another, love and contentment and entertainment and relaxation and refreshment and the list goes on and on. But again, that's not what we're primarily talking about this morning. We are talking today about the future rewards that await us for our faithful service and we can be assured that such service will not be forgotten even if the rewards are in the future. Again, verse 13 makes this very clear. On that day, our works will be made manifest. They are known and will be known by God, and therefore they will not be forgotten. Because God knows everything, he will not forget our work on his behalf. And that's difficult for us to imagine because we do forget. We can't remember what we did last week. You've probably had the experience of buying something for someone, hiding it somewhere, and forgetting all about it. Only to discover it years later when you're cleaning out the closet or the attic and you say, "Ah, that's where that is. Uh, That was meant for so-and-so. I bought that for them and I've forgotten all about it. We don't have to worry about that when it comes to God. God will remember all of our acts of service. We may not be appreciated by others, we may not be rewarded by others, but God promises to remember all things done in his name. And that's what Paul says here. Jesus said the same thing. He says, if you give a cup of cold water to someone in my name, what he means by that is even the smallest act of kindness done in the name of Christ will not be forgotten and therefore everything else will be remembered as well. So for now, we must continue to persevere, something the Bible talks about often. If you go to chapter 15 of this letter of 1 Corinthians, that great chapter of the resurrection, Paul concludes that chapter by saying, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The writer of Hebrews says much the same thing. In chapter 6, he says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. So we know that our labor, we know that our work is not in vain and it will be remembered and rewarded in the future because God has given us that promise. All of which then leads to our final point, and that is collecting crowns the Bible speaks about various crowns not tiaras to put on our head it's probably talking more about the victor wreath that was given to someone in a competition but nevertheless the Bible uses the idea of crowns to talk about those who are rewarded for their faithful service now most of us like to collect something or at least we have at some point in our lives children like to collect things When I was a boy, I collected various things. I had baseball and football cards that I collected. I wish I would have held on to them. I wish I had not played with them and ruined them and saved them instead and sold them for a higher price today, but I didn't. I had a stamp collection at one point that is actually still at my house in a closet somewhere. I tried coin collecting for a brief period of time, but that didn't last too long. So we often collect something. Many adults collect uh, various things, a series of things that when the new one comes out, we get it to add to our collection. Most of it is just done for fun, but sometimes it's done for value, hoping that it's going to rise in price, and therefore we can sell it for a profit. So if value is what you are after, why not try collecting crowns? Because we know that those are indeed valuable. So in order to see this, we're going to leave 1 Corinthians 3. I'm not going to ask you to turn anywhere. I'm just going to reference these. And so I want you to see the various crowns that the Bible talks about. We're still in 1 Corinthians on this first one. In chapter 9, Paul talks about an imperishable crown given to those who run the race of faith faithfully. An imperishable crown, meaning it is a crown that won't fade. It won't collect dust. It will last forever forever. Then in 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the crown of exaltation given to those who are faithful in sharing the gospel with others and building them up in that same gospel. A crown given to those who care about and work toward the spiritual growth and maturity of others. Or to put it in other terms, the crown of exaltation is given to those who faithfully fulfill our mission statement here. Which is what again? Again to make and mature believers. If we do that, then we're given the crown of exaltation. Thirdly, in 2 Timothy, Paul talks about the crown of righteousness. In that case, he's nearing the end of his life, and he says, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race, and therefore there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. But he then goes on to say, but not for me only, but also to all of those who love And look for his appearance. Are you longing for the return of Christ? Are you looking forward to that time? Then Paul says you too will receive the crown of righteousness. James talks about a crown of life given to those who have suffered and been persecuted in this life. Eternal life is of course a gift for all of us who know Christ. And it is something that we will rejoice in when we ultimately experience it. But But James there is talking about a specific crown for those who attain eternal life through suffering and persecution and finally I would mention the crown of glory that Peter mentions for those who faithfully minister God's word and by that I'm not talking about those of us like myself who do it as a living just because you are not a minister in our terms doesn't mean you're not a minister that is he's talking about all of us who minister the word of God who share the word of God with others. So while we might not call Tara a minister in the sense that you call me that, she has been faithfully ministering the word of God for eight years and even prior to that. And therefore, the crown of uh, glory awaits her and all of us who faithfully do the same. But you know, the book of Revelation tells us that the 24 elders actually take their crowns and they cast them at the feet of the throne. I started to call this point casting crowns, but I knew you'd think about that group. So I didn't call it that. But ultimately, we take the crowns that are given to us as rewards, and we recognize that we don't deserve them. And so we cast them before the throne of God because he alone is worthy. Perhaps we will be content with the words that Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. And then to hear Jesus say in response, enter into the joy that has been prepared for you. Again, we don't serve for the rewards. We don't keep our eye on those things and therefore persevere for that reason. But nevertheless, we are promised them. Rewards are given to encourage good behavior, not only in the past, but to make that a pattern in the future. And so the Bible says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. So my plea to us today is do not lose heart. You may feel underappreciated today. You may feel that nobody notices the things you do in the name of the Lord. And that might actually be true. That was not for dramatic effect. (laughs) But God sees even in the dark, right? God knows what we're doing in his name. And God will reward us accordingly. So do not lose heart. Be faithful until that day comes. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that you not only save us, which is way more than we deserve but you promise to give us rewards in the future rewards that we could actually never earn nor deserve but you so graciously give them anyway and while we do not serve for those things we look forward to them and so i pray that we would not lose heart that even as while even while we may feel persecuted and not appreciated Even while others may not see the things we do, we know that you do, and you will reward us accordingly. So until that day, help us to continue to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, and you respond.